Welcome to The Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now, here's a message from Pastor Dan Roth. There you go. Not going to let you go brain dead this weekend. I know that music was really comforting, and some of you guys, man, you had a late night last night, and now you're sinking into a comfortable chair, and there's air conditioning going on. But listen, the Word of God is alive and rich, and it's worth giving your interest and your attention for today. The measure that you use, the Bible says, will be measured back to you. So if you sit here today and be brain dead, you're going to get nothing. And you'll say, well, Pastor Dan didn't preach good enough, and I guess it wasn't that great. You know, I'm not really receiving from him anymore. No, you're just stupid. That's all. Listen, you got to lean into this word. you got to get your heart behind this, all right? Put your back into it, if I can say it like that. And if you use that measure, then, man, you're going to be like, whoa, the Holy Spirit. See, because Pastor Dan ain't nothing. Holy Spirit dropped a whole lot on me today, and I'm ready to go out there and take on the world. Hallelujah. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, did he just call me stupid? Just respond saying, no, he didn't. He didn't. It's worth getting the word today. All right? This is the story of us, and today I want to talk to you about dividing lines. If you remember the last time we talked about the Apostle Paul, he was there, and he was giving his testimony after a riot broke out in Jerusalem. People had thought that he brought a Gentile into the temple, which was unlawful for him to do, even though he didn't do it. But they weren't wanting to stop and listen. They weren't wanting to hear what he had to say, but now he had an audience. And as he tells his testimony, he tells of how he was praying and how he saw the Lord in a trance. And Jesus tells him that the Jews will not receive his testimony. And he sends him away, far away, to the Gentiles. It's at this word, it's just like a trigger word. And when he says Gentiles, all of a sudden the crowd incites once again. And that causes them to start shouting, away with him, away with him. The Romans have to step in and pull him out of there, but they want to know what's going on. And so the Bible says that the Romans bind him with thongs. Literally what it means is that they tie him up with leather cords and they start to stretch him up against a pole to expose his back. And as he's being stretched out, the Apostle Paul pulls out his Roman identification card, his driver's license, and he says, hey, is it lawful for you guys to beat an uncondemned Roman? And all of a sudden they're shocked and they realize, hey, we can't do this. Because the penalty for beating an uncondemned Roman is death. And so they go and they speak to the commander. The commander comes in and he says, are you a Roman? And he says, yes, I am. And he says, it was with a large sum of money that I purchased my citizenship. And Paul says, yeah, but I was born a Roman. He uses natural rights for spiritual results. In fact, if you want to learn more about that, uh, we did a message some time ago called Natural Rights for Spiritual Results. So you can go on our message archive and you can learn more about that. But Paul goes on, and they want to find out what's happening, and so they bring him before the religious leaders, and this is where we pick up the story in Acts chapter number 23. In fact, if you find Acts chapter 23, just back up one verse to Acts chapter 22 and verse number 30. Let's take a look at it in Acts chapter 22, starting in verse number 30, and then we'll launch into chapter number 23. It says, the next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their counsel to appear. And brought Paul down and set him before them. Verse 1 of chapter 23 says, Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I've lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Now, Paul wasn't lying. Paul had a good conscience before God. In fact, even when he was persecuting the church, he said he did it in ignorance because he was really passionate for God. He really had a heart for God, and so he thought that was the right thing to do. And with a clear conscience, he persecuted the church. But once he met up with Jesus... Once he knew the truth, he decided to turn from that and to not persecute the church, but to promote the church. And the people that knew that he was persecuting the church said, wait a second, isn't this the same guy that was dragging people out of their homes? 
And now he's going to preach that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? This is amazing. And so Paul said, up until this day, I've had a clear conscience before God. Let's see how they received that in verse number 2. It says, and the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. In other words, he just got so angry. It didn't matter what came out of Paul's mouth. He could have said a big purple dinosaur, and they would have just slapped him across the face at that moment. Because they were all ready to condemn him. Verse 3, then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. Don't you wish... I mean, let's just pause for a second right there. Don't you wish that there are moments in the Bible that you could just be sitting by, listening in, you know, and and you understood Hebrew or Aramaic or whatever language they were speaking? Because I would just have loved to have heard the inflection in Paul's voice. I would have loved to have heard the grit that came out of this man at that moment where he looked at him and he says, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. Man, I would have loved to have heard that. He says, for you sit to judge me. According to the law, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? See, Paul knew the scriptures inside and out. He was a Pharisee before he became a Christian. That means he held to the strictest form of the religious law. He would have been able to quote to you the first five books of the Bible. I mean, I have trouble memorizing one scripture at times, let alone whole books of the Bible. This guy was well-versed. And so he pulls this out, and look at what it says. It says, then those who stood by... Next verse, it says, uh, and those who stood by said, do you revile God's high priest? Verse number five, then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest. For as written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So he says, essentially, I'm so sorry, I didn't know. And the Bible says that we're not to do this. Essentially, he repents of what he had just said. Verse number five, uh, sorry, verse number six. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope of the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. Now, once again, Paul did not lie in his statement. He was a Pharisee, according to the flesh, before he came into the faith of Jesus Christ. He says, I count those things at loss. And yet he wasn't afraid to use them when it helped him because he realized he perceived. The Bible says when he perceived this, he cried out. In other words, he knew that the people that were in front of him were divided. It was almost like if you would put uh, this kind of a thought out there in our present-day terminology, like having Democrats and Republicans, and you throw abortion right in the middle of them. You know, you kind of just take a, a grenade out and throw it right in the middle and then back up and see what happens. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of what Paul did right there. He just threw a hot topic right out into the middle of them. We can see this in verse number 7. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. Verse 8, for Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. They had a difference of opinion. It was like the fundamentalists and the liberals, right? And you throw a doctrinal statement in the middle of them, and you let them fight it out. That's what Paul was doing because he could see, I'm not getting a fair trial. I make one statement that I got a clear conscience, and they strike me on the mouth. They're not wanting to hear the gospel. They're not wanting to listen. And Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. So I'm going to just say this right now. I'm a Pharisee because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. What was the hope of the resurrection of the dead? That was the resurrection of Jesus and ultimately the resurrection of believers at the end of it all. That's what he believed. It wasn't a lie, but he knew that that was controversial enough to divide the assembly. Next verse, verse number 9, then there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man. 
But if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Now all of a sudden, Paul's got some unlikely allies. But look at what happens in verse number 10. It says, now when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. Obviously, at this moment, we can see that there are some dividing lines. And for all of us, I believe that these same dividing lines are easily seen in our lives today. What are the dividing lines? Well, first of all, we see the laws were dividing lines. Paul was not afraid to use the laws of the Roman Empire, nor was he opposed to follow the religious laws of Moses. There were things that he would do and things that he would not do. He would use his citizenship to avoid a beating, but he would not speak evil of a ruler of the people. Why? Because there was a dividing line called the laws. In the same way, we won't steal, right? We, we won't evade our taxes, hopefully. Come on, somebody. Come on, we're going to follow the laws of the land. But there was another dividing line that we see, authority. Paul shows when he says that he did not know that the person who commanded him to be struck on the mouth was the high priest, that he respected authority. And we also respect and honor the authority that's over us. Even though they may be out of sync, even though they may be out of line, we still respect the fact that God is the one who sets up all authority. But here's another dividing line, and this is the one that we just saw, doctrine. Doctrine meaning systems of teaching. This was obviously a hot topic. And Paul wasn't lying when he said he was a Pharisee and the son of a Pharisee. He was raised knowing their systems of teaching. He knew their doctrine. And he would also have known that the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, in the spirit, or in angels. And so he used this dividing line to expose the weakness of their case against him and was again removed from their violence. Now, these lines are very clear, and we can see where people and churches over the centuries have divided over these things. Sometimes people wonder, why are there so many denominations? Here's the reason why. is because of things like this, doctrines and laws and authority, that people say, well, I don't agree with you on that. And the disagreement gets so strong that eventually you have the Baptists and the Lutherans and the Methodists and Episcopalians and Charismatics and Pentecostals. Some people believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Some people don't believe it's for today. Some people believe in women in ministry. Other people don't. Some people believe you should baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And other people say, well, you should only baptize in the name of Jesus. There are all kinds of things that are dividing lines in doctrines and in authority structures as well as in the laws. Now, while these ones are easily seen, this is not the history of us today that we're talking about. This is the ongoing and present story of us. And these scriptures show me some dividing lines that maybe aren't as clear. Maybe they're a little bit more written in pencil than they are in stone. But there are no less dividing lines for all of us today. And we need to understand that if we don't know these dividing lines and we don't do them, then they can literally keep us from the promises and the blessings of God. They will divide us from the promises that God has for our lives as well as the blessing that comes when we operate in them. And I know something about you. You want to know about you? I know that you want to be blessed. Oh, don't look so religious and holy. No, pastor, we shouldn't be blessed. There should be no happiness in our life. We're Christians. We should be sucking on lemons every day. We should be poor. We should be broke down, busted, and disgusted. And then someday, in the sweet by and by, I'll fly away, oh glory. And then finally, after all the junk I get on this earth, then finally I can finally get something in the mansion or maybe something up there in heaven. You know, just a little condo or something like that. Oh, give me a break. Do you know that success is a Bible word? Check it out in the first chapter of Joshua. God says to meditate in the word day and night, for then you will be prosperous, and then you will have good success. That's a Bible word. 
And if God wants you to be successful, why would you not want something that God wanted for your life? Hello. You want to be blessed. Blessed is the capacity to succeed, not just money in your pocket. No, blessed is the ability to succeed in life. And if you don't know these dividing lines, then you won't be blessed. Y'all can help me preach the sermon today. It's okay, all right? There's a holler back sermon. You can holler at me. So what are these dividing lines keeping us from the promises and the blessings of God? First one is this, an important one too, is courage. Courage. One dividing line that has recently become more pronounced is whether a Christian will cower in the face of opposition or be courageous enough to stand for the truth. We've seen this in this past year as churches shut down, and I believe we did what we needed to do. I believe we did it to the best of our ability. I believe that we felt that we were being prudent and wise. Therefore, because we didn't know the extent of a pandemic, because of what we saw out there, and because of what our leaders asked us to do, we willingly said we will shut our doors for a period of time in order to slow the spread of this deadly virus. We wanted to protect our people. We wanted to protect our community. And before God, we did the best that we could do. I wouldn't change that. Now, knowing what I know now, would I do things differently? Absolutely. I would have never shut down. And yet, it takes courage for you to shut down because, man, what's going to happen? What if we never open our doors again? What if it destroys the church? That sort of thing. But you know what else took courage was after a while, we started to see our people in despair and depression. We started to see suicide rise. We started to see people getting caught up in drugs and alcohol and behaviors that they had been delivered from. And we realized that the cure can't be worse than the sickness. And so we said, you know what? It's not good for us to be isolated, to be insulated, to be out there. And so we got to open our doors. And it took courage when no one else was opening up for us one year ago, almost to the day, to say we're open for business, we're opening our doors, and if somebody wants to worship God in a corporate setting, they can come in. That takes courage. To courage for you to show up. To courage for you to come in and wear a mask, not knowing what's going to happen, but having a heart and a desire for God that says, I'm not going to let anything keep me from God. It took courage for us to start taking the tape off. It took courage for us to say, hey, you know what? You want to wear a mask? Don't wear a mask. Doesn't matter. Listen, you just come into the house of God and worship God where you're at. Worship God from your heart, and you just come on in. It takes courage. But you know what else takes courage? It takes courage for us to stand up. When people are persecuting churches over whether they're open or not open, it takes courage for people persecuting churches about the social issues of our day, whether we're going to take this stand or take that stand, whether we're going to divide over things that don't matter, things like the color of your skin. Guys, we are one in Christ Jesus, and how dare we divide the kingdom? It takes courage to stand up. Our neighbors to the north have just locked up pastors for having their doors open. Guys, don't think it can't come to our land. The persecution is coming. And if you cower back behind it, Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. And outside the gates of heaven, the first group of people are the cowards. So he said, man, I thought Pastor Dan was a nice pastor. Listen, I'm nice, but I'm no sissy. Come on. I'm the most stubborn man you'll find on the face of the planet. You know God can use a stubborn mule. I'm in the pulpit right now. We've got to keep it clean, all right? Keep it clean out of the pulpit too because we're integrous. But it takes courage. It takes courage. Novelist Sermon wrote of a meeting he had with David Ben-Gurion, Israel's first president. 
Ben-Gurion urged him to move to the newly established nation, saying, here you will be free. Now, this was in 1955, and terrorists were still bringing regular bloodshed to the citizens. Free, Wilk asked, with your road impassable after sundown? I did not say safe, replied Ben-Gurion. I said free. Let me repeat that last statement because I want you to let this sink down into your soul. I did not say safe. I said free. See, for all of us, we need to understand that we have freedom in Christ, but that freedom doesn't mean easy street. It doesn't mean safe. It doesn't mean that nothing bad's ever going to happen. It means that we have to stand and be courageous enough to face the day, to face the evil, to face the persecution, to face the process, to face the problems and the pressures that come against our life. you got to have courage to be a Christian. See, Paul said he had a good conscience, and because he had a good conscience, that gave him good courage. Christianity doesn't remove the the backbone of a believer, but it becomes the backbone of the believer. And courage is based on the conscience that's been cleared by God. See, when you know God is with you, you can face anything that comes your way. Joshua chapter 1, verse number 9 in the New Living Translation says this, this is my command. See, this is not just God speaking to Joshua. This is God speaking to you and me today. This is my command. What's God's command? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let me say it to you like this. Too many Christians are afraid to move into their personal promised land. Why? Because it isn't safe. What will people think? What are they going to talk about me? People are going to talk, guys. Persecution is coming. It has to get darker before the day dawns. The Apostle Paul said that perilous times will come in the last days. Guys, it has to get darker before the day dawns. We know that. We know that there's going to be a cost to it. The Apostle Paul wrote that everybody who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We do not shrink back from that knowing that though we courageously and boldly move forward. Why? Because you got to be courageous enough to move into the promises of God for your life. It might come at the cost of a fight, but it is worth the fights. It's a dividing line for all of us. Will we be courageous or will we cower? Second one is this though, that I can see. The second dividing line is obedience. Obedience. Charles H. Spurgeon said obedience is the highest practical courage. You know, it takes a great deal of courage to obey the promises of God and to obey the commandments of God. It takes courage to love the unlovable, to forgive when you've been harmed. It takes courage to go the direction of God when the rest of society and culture and your family and everybody that you love is going the opposite direction. It takes courage to take a biblical stance on things like marriage and sexuality and lifestyle and finances. Got real quiet in this room. Somebody ought to be shouting me down right now because it takes courage to obey the word of God. But the problem is, like John Maxwell says, we are far more educated beyond the level of our obedience. 
And we learn all this stuff about God, and we learn all this stuff about the Scriptures, and all of a sudden we stop obeying the Scriptures and taking them at face value because now all of a sudden contextually that means something different than it would for us today. And so they didn't have the things that we have today, and they don't face the pressures that we have today. They had different pressures. They had different things that were going on. I mean, they didn't have a phone. They didn't have a toilet. They didn't have any of that kind of stuff, you know. And so obviously this part of the Word of God does not apply to us because our life context is different than their life context. Can I tell you something? God knew the context that you would be living in. He knew the content of your character as well. God knew the day and age that you would be living in. He knew the pressures that would be applied to your life. And that's why God wrote a scripture thousands of years ago that is just as relevant then as it is today. And those scriptures do not fade away. The Bible says the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has not changed his opinion about your holy living. He's not changed his opinion about your sexuality. He has not changed his definition of marriage. God has not changed his mind about what you can smoke, about what you can drink. God hasn't changed his mind about your mind frame, whether you should be in your right mind or out of your mind. God has not changed. I told you, man. I told you. Ain't no sissy preachers in this pulpit. You got to be courageous to say that. Because what if somebody puts it on the internet? It's already on the internet. What if somebody gets offended? They're already offended. My goodness, they woke up offended. Some people waking up looking like the devil sat on their face. My goodness, got stink face, mean mugging everybody all around them, just looking for a fight. Listen, go take that somewhere else. This is the church of Almighty God. This is where the joy of the Lord is, and this is where truth is preached. See, a dividing line for Christians today is will they obey the word of God or will they not? When Paul realized that he had spoken against someone in leadership, he quickly responded that he did it in ignorance, and he quoted the scripture that showed the course of action he should take. And Take note, you don't ever hear him ever say anything ever again against Ananias the high priest. In other words, he repented, he turned from his way, and he went God's way. See, churches should be known and have a reputation of being obedient to the word of the Lord. Romans chapter 16, verse number 19 in the New International Version says this. He says, everyone has heard about your obedience. That's quite a reputation, isn't it? Everybody heard about you guys. You know, Rome was uh, the capital city, right? Rome was this very, you know, expressive city. And whatever came out of Rome, man, that was, that was amazing and that was great. That's where all the laws and all the leadership came from. And so the church at Rome now, he, he says, you've got a reputation and everybody knows about your obedience. So I rejoice because of you. But then he gives them some instruction. He says, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Notice he says, I want you to be wise about what is good, not just knowledgeable. The Bible says knowledge puffs up. You can get an inflated ego and a big head about what you know about God. Well, I read the Bible all the way through from cover to cover. I even read the maps. Oh, my goodness. Aren't you cool? You get a golden star for that. But what are you doing with it? See, wisdom is not just knowing something about God. Wisdom, are you ready for this, is the skillful application of the knowledge that you have. 
See, I can know how to do something, but until I wisely apply that knowledge, it does me no good. So he says, I want you to be wise, not just wise about the Bible, but wise about what is good. Now, the problem in our societies today is that good is experience. Good is what I feel. Good is whatever's good to me may not be good to you, but is my good, is my truth. That may not be your truth, but that's, that, that's okay because we've got experiential or circumstantial truth and, and things that feel good, so therefore it must be good. No, good is not good according to what you say, I say, the world says, experience says, circumstances say. No, good is what God says. Why? Because there's none good but God. So when God says this is good, it may not feel good, but it is good. It's like spinach, right? It may not taste good, but when I ingest it into my body, it does good for me, right? It has benefits. It's got things that it will do to me that are good. They're healthy. In the same way, he says, I want you to be wise. I want you to be skillful in the application of the knowledge of the Word of God that you have so that it will do good to your life. But, he says, an innocent about what is evil. Evil is anything contrary to the will and the ways of God. So, he says, I want you to be innocent of that. Innocent, what does that mean? Well, if you're innocent, that means you, you didn't do it, right? I'm innocent. What does that mean? I didn't do it. You're innocent. So he says, be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Roger Staubach, who led the Dallas Cowboys to the World Championship in 1971, admitted that his position as quarterback, who didn't call his own signals, was a source of trial for him. Coach Landry sent in every play. He told Roger when to pass, when to run, and only in emergency situations could he change the play, and he better be right. Even though Roger considered Coach Landry to have a genius mind when it came to football strategy, pride said that he should be able to run his own team. Roger later said, I faced up to the issue of obedience. Once I learned to obey, there was harmony, fulfillment, and victory. Let let me just camp out right there for a second. He says, once I learned to obey, there was harmony, fulfillment, and victory. And victory. I wonder if there's somebody in this place today who you've been hitting the wall and you've been wondering why. I wonder if there's somebody in this place today you say everything is in disharmony. I just have dissonance in my life. It seems like there's no chorus. There's no medley. There's no melody. There's no song to life anymore. Maybe you're unfulfilled. Maybe you're singing that song with the Rolling Stones. I can't get no satisfaction. And you've been wondering why. And you've been hitting this wall and you haven't found victory in your life. Could it be? that until we learn obedience, even though we may suffer in the midst of it, that once we start to trust and obey, then all of a sudden here comes the harmony. Here comes the song of life. Here comes fulfillment and satisfaction. And here comes the victory because God is on your side. Woo! Which brings us to the last one today. The dividing lines, courage, obedience. And last one is this, is faithfulness. Faithfulness, being faithful. Revelation chapter 2, verse number 10 in the New King James Version says this. Jesus is speaking, and he says, do not fear. Be courageous. Do not fear any of those things which you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. That you may be tested, and you will have tribulation 10 days. 
10 being the number of testing. Now, that's a pretty scary verse if you just look at it at face value and you say, wait, thrown into prison, the devil's coming at you, you're being tested. I mean, this is terrible, terrible verse. But look at the last statement. Remember, he opened with do not fear. He's telling you in advance to prepare you for what's about ready to happen. But then in the last sentence, he says this. He says, be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Woo! See, many times when we think about being faithful unto death, we think someone's going to come and kill us. could be that you die at a rich old age. But God says be faithful to that very day. Don't give up. Don't let up. See, it's the hope of the resurrection that fuels our faithfulness. Hope keeps us from losing heart. It was Paul's only defense and confession before the council. And today, here and now, in this story, not just a history, but the present day ongoing story of us. It's our only hope. It's our only defense. And it's our only confession before those who would ask of us that Jesus Christ was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. And therefore, I have hope in Christ. And because I have that hope, that I will be raised with Christ. And there's coming a day that the eastern sky will split and Jesus will come with the calling of the trumpet and he will call for his own and we who are dead will rise in Christ and we will be raised up on that day and be with him forever. And because of that hope, we will be faithful. Faithful unto death. Faithful unto the very end. Faithful to not give up. Faithful to have courage. Faithful to be obedient. Faithful to follow. Faithful to listen. Faithful to do what God has called us to do and to be what God has called us to be. Many people can hold on for a moment. Some people can hold on for a day, a week, a month. Some people can hold on for a year. And yet God is saying, will you hold on to the very end? Will you be faithful through and through? Will you be faithful for a lifetime? Because if you will, there's a reward at the end of it all called the crown of life. I had the honor and the privilege of attending a memorial service for one of our dear members. Been with this church for decades and had done many good works over the, the decades that he was here. His name was Wiley Snedeker. Wiley was a great man. He did a lot of good while he was here on the earth. I think Wiley might have said two words to me when he was in this church. Hi and goodbye. I think that's about all I got from Wiley, you know. And, and uh, while, while his wife Sarah was telling me how much she loved the sermon or how excited she was about the church, that sort of a thing, and she was, uh, you know, using a lot of words, Wiley would just kind of stand behind and kind of just shake his head, and, and then he'd just buy and walk off, you know. That was Wiley's personality. But I learned a lot about Wiley there at the memorial service because his family got up and talked about him, found out that Wiley was an airplane mechanic in the military. He'd served in World War II in the Korean War. And two terms in Vietnam. Wow, what a man. What an honor to know this man. Yet, that wasn't the best of it. Heard from his family. His oldest daughter talked about how he would dance with Sarah in the living room. And then afterwards, she would run to her daddy and dance with her shoes on his shoes. And then he would whisk her off to bed at night. Wow. She said that even though she never really remembered him saying, I love you, she knew that he loved her. It might have been that he was raised in the Depression era and his parents were just trying to get by and so maybe expressing emotion wasn't the easiest thing for Wiley to do, but still he took care of his family. She said that he could get angry and when he got angry, he could make sailors blush with the foul language that came out of his mouth and yet he never laid a hand on the family. Wiley had a heart for people. 
And as he came back, he was living in Kentucky, and at the time he saw the plight of the poor that had been the descendants of slaves living below the poverty line. And so he started to set aside food and supplies for them. In fact, he even built containers out of wood that he could store the things that he was going to give to them, and he did that on a regular basis. When they moved here to Southern California, they had a heart for the people of Tijuana in Mexico. And every week, they would drive down on a Saturday, and they would go down there, and they would bring food and supplies and goods down to the people that are living in shanty towns and boxes and in cardboard and barbed wire and blue tarps there at the border. Every month, they would set aside money of their own, and they would start to do that. After a while, we at the church found out about it and partnered up with them, and people went with them. We even sent them uh, monthly mission support to do that good work. Pastor Paolo told of a time, Pastor Paolo is uh, over our Spanish-speaking service here, at the time when Wiley's health started to get a little bit on the decline, and they started getting older, and, you know, they were slowing down and that sort of a thing, and, and they thought it was good. You know, hey, Wiley, you've been doing this work a long time. Maybe it's time to, to hang it up. Maybe it's time for you to pass that work along to us. We were starting to get involved. We were starting to have people go down, and we had made some connections down there with local pastors, and so we said, you know what? We're going to stop our funds, and we, we think it's good for you to stop doing this good work. Very next day, Wiley went and packed up his van purchased supplies with his own money, and took it down to Tijuana, Mexico. At the time, Pastor Jim was the senior pastor of the church, and he called up Dr. Paolo on the phone on Monday morning. He said, hey, listen, they're not going to stop. Just give them the money, and let's move on with our lives. And Wiley continued to do that good work literally until he could do it no more, and shortly after, he passed. See, Wiley was faithful unto death. And I believe that Wiley, when he passed into eternity, heard, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And by the way, Wiley, here's a crown, the crown of life. God will cap your life with his life, his life crowning everything that you've done on the earth. We need to be faithful unto death. Come on. If you're going to clap, give God a clap. If you're going to praise, give God a praise. If you're going to shout, give God a shout. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.